Hey, everybody. Welcome to the pre-roll for Electric Liberty Land 170. I want to remind you of a couple things at the top of the show today. Number one, we are still giving 10% of all of the dollars that we get in for our Pride and Patreon subscribers to DonorC and Brett Glyer, his uh, wonderful nonprofit that works with libertarianism at the forefront to help people directly. You get to see your dollars at work. And he, of course, is focusing on COVID and aiding people that are in need, as most people are uh, and seems to be the focus of everything in society. So you can join at patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. And also want to remind you that in this era of home delivery, we are also working with NorthSpokaneCBD.com. And you can get 15% off by using the promo code Lions for home CBD product delivery. So make sure to check that out as well. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey, government, I know what you're thinking. It's a mighty good time for liberties to start shrinking. Hey, Cuomo, what's it gonna be? Authoritarian policy cracking down in New York City. This pandemic's gotta go with the same thing every time. They don't waste a crisis, they don't make you lose your mind. So I think about my next drink. And it's you and me and the quarantine makes three tonight. Well, I know this cat named Stim is bailing through islands and dams. Loves digging deeper in that fiscal watering hole. Said, hey, Stim, how you doing? Where have you been? He said, I've been plotting with poor politicians on what to put in. Hey, this government's got to go. It's the same thing every time. Straw out economy, hit rock bottom and tell us it's all fine. So I think about my next drink. And it's you and me and the quarantine makes three tonight. Yeah. Hey, Trump, give it to me, Pelosi. Who else wants a piece of this? Get on there, everybody. Give you, give a little shove. Give a little love to your local municipalities. Get something in there for the Green New Deal. Get something in there for the unions. Get something in there for the airlines. Get something in there for the farmers. There's no ending to this, right? Everybody have a drink. Hey, everybody. All right. That was my little uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy tribute there to the stimulus and all the pork barrel spending that went into it. This is Electric Liberty Land. I am Brian McWilliams. And this is episode number 170, which means you can find all the show notes, of which there are several, uh, over at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL170. Now, one thing I want to, I just want to bring in at the top of the show here, because we're living in this dystopian, authoritarian, lockdown, quarantined, goddamn society right now. And half the world seems to be cheering for it, and half the world seems to be uh, anticipating even further crackdowns and welcoming them like the idiotic sheep to the slaughter that they are. 
But that doesn't mean we can't laugh. <laughs> doesn't mean we can't have a good chuckle uh, as we're going down in flames. You know, I always figured I'd be the guy that if the plane's crashing, I'd be cracking a joke. You know, I'd be, I'd be looking to the person next to me and being like, I'm just angry I didn't get a meal, you know, or they call this Stroop waffle worthy because on United flights, at least you get a Stroop waffle with every flight. <laughs> it's the highlight of them. It's the highlight of the flight, really. Um, but there's a meme going around, take it for one of my favorite shows. And I know we had it posted. I think Otto posted it in the Lions of Liberty forum recently, or maybe it was Joseph. I can't remember who, but, uh, and also my wife had shared it around. And I, and of course it's always, it's always on my mind, which is the hilarious clip when the representatives from then thriving Venezuela, right after Maduro had taken over, or right, I'm sorry, right after Chavez had taken over in Venezuela, and they were still rich off of the flush capitalism and oil that had made the country so very, very wealthy for a short amount of time before socialism came in and completely destroyed it, uh, which, of course, is always what happens. They had representatives from Venezuela come in, and this, of course, is a clip where Fred Armisen goes into how wonderful this society is because of jail and because of the authoritarian crackdown on the most ridiculous things. So it reminds me of the current time as it has many other people. So let's just sit back, have a quick listen, and then we'll get back into the show. This is outrageous. Where are the armed men who come in to take the protesters away? Where are they? This kind of behavior is never tolerating in Boracua. You shout like that, they, they put you in jail right away. No trial, no, no nothing. Journalists, we have a special jail for journalists. You're stealing, right to jail. You're playing music too loud, right to jail, right away. You're driving too fast, jail. Slow, jail. You're charging too high prices for uh, sweaters, glasses. You right to jail. You undercook fish, believe it or not, jail. You overcook chicken, also jail. Undercook, overcook. You make an appointment with a dentist and you don't show up, believe it or not, jail, right away. We have the best patients in the world. Because of jail. All right. So that's for Parks and Rec. Now, you know, it seems crazy in a way, right? He's talking about all these things. How if you overcook fish, you under or you undercook fish, you overcook chicken, uh, you don't show up for a dentist appointment, you go to jail. You know, honestly, doesn't seem too insane to me right now. The way things are going, the way police departments, the way governors, the way mayors are overstepping their boundaries of authority and cracking down on people for taking part in non-essential activities. If you have a business that's considered non-essential, a.k.a. selling sweaters, maybe, well, guess what? You can be closed down. You can have a fine. In New York City, they're talking about cutting off water and power. Uh, Or maybe that was even in Los Angeles, cutting water and power to stores that try to be open, giving them fines. They're arresting pastors for holding church services where people, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. But literally, We've got, you know, companies that are delivering food. What if you deliver food and it's vastly undercooked by accident? What? And somebody gets sick. Ah, straight to jail. Off to jail with you. Price gouging? Off to jail. No price gouging. Only set prices. You cannot allow the market to operate. Off to jail. <laughs> I mean, this that clip was absolutely, I mean, prophetic, really. Because we did see all these things happen in Venezuela it, almost immediately once things started going south where I discussed on the show in, in you know several episodes ago now, probably 25 episodes, once Venezuela really became top of mind, and I had a few people on to talk about that that were there or ha- either there themselves or had relatives that were there. But you had people that were baking bread off to jail, 
because they decided that they were charging too much money for bread, despite the fact that they couldn't get any supplies for bread, that they were there was such a shortage on everything they were using that they had to pay above market prices anyway, or black market prices, so that they in turn could not charge what the government mandated they charge for bread. They had to charge something that would actually allow them to make money and survive. And the government said, oh, you're not allowed to do that. Off to jail. Off to jail. Ah, hilarious. What a hilarious and horrible time we live in. So what's going on out there, guys? What have you been up to? I'll tell you myself, I have been uh, sitting around. I've been reading a lot. I have been uh, taking care of baby town here with my spare hours in the day, trying to get some other stuff done, like my Do Nothing Man episodes. I am uh, working on right now a Do Nothing Man versus the COVID slash coronavirus uh, mafia. And that's really, I, mean, I know we we look at the government as a type of mafia family, which they basically are. But when you look at how these things have really come into play, like the passing of this stimulus, you know, like what I called it, this, this pandemic stimulust that we see from our quote unquote leaders in government and how that they're using every angle to work into play, not just a bill that they would say, you know, on the surface, obviously libertarians would theoretically be in opposition of a bill like a stimulus style bill, right? Because as libertarians, we don't want to say, okay, we don't want to increase spending. We don't want to uh, to force people to be paying in to support other people that they don't know, that they don't they have no idea what they're going to be doing with their money nor their personal choices in life. So why should we all collectively be forced to pay for people, you know, no matter what the circumstances really? And not only that, but it's not just about people. It's also about crony capitalism. It's about these the banks getting bailed out, getting all these billions of dollars given to them at virtually zero interest rate. And not passing that on to consumers. Who are they even going to lend it to right now? You know, you see uh, the airline industry getting bailed out. And the airline industry should have the ability to weather something like this. They've got stocks. You know, I was listening to Thomas Massey because he was on Dave Smith's part of the problem. And and I'm glad he was because I want to talk a little bit more about him later. But, you know, he was citing the fact that they do have the ability to weather this. You're going to have people traveling later on. You can still sell off some stocks to cover your losses and maintain in this time. You shouldn't simply fall back on the government. And we're seeing this cronious kind of institutionalism. We're seeing them with this stimulus go out of their way to make sure that every pet project gets funded. I mean, Christ, talk about the airline industries. The Democrats and the green nutballs shoved in mandates that the airline industries have to reduce their emissions by 2050. They wedged that into a stimulus bill. I mean, they wedged in funding of $25 million for the Kennedy Center in a federal spending bill, the Kennedy Center in fucking New York City. How does that benefit all of America? Or we're saying that it's some institution that has to be protected? Well, in that case, maybe they should have put some language in there that says they can't furlough and fire the, uh, the New York Symphony Orchestra because that's what happened immediately after it passed and after they got their money mentioned on uh, Dave Smith's show is that when you break out the numbers behind the stimulus bill, this $2 trillion largest ever in the history of the goddamn country or world for that matter, spending bill, you actually have a breakdown to about $60,000 per family, right? That's what, that's what the bill's pure dollar amount would allocate. But instead of that, you get $1,200 checks. Maybe you get $1,200 for three months. So maybe you get 3,000. A lot of people will not get that much money. 
right? So you've got all this cash going towards special interests, all this cash going towards bailouts, all this cash going towards frivolous bullshit spending on local levels. I mean, God, you know, one senator was fighting to get $1.5 billion allocated for every single state, no matter what, because he had a small state. I think it was like a, a senator or, a, or a, a representative from Idaho. Got to get that in there. Got to get my piece of the pie, you know, which is why I called this the gangbang bill because everybody got a shot. Everybody got to put their dick in and fuck this bill and fuck the American population over, which is exactly what's happening. And it's not just in straight spending here, but it's also in that they're diluting the monetary supply thoroughly as well. So in a time when we've got people not making money that are forced out of work by the government, you also have the value of our currency dropping down. I mean, God damn it, $2 trillion more dollars in, in uh, spending and $4 million in printed money that's being lent out directly to the banks, all these other things, they add up. On top of the, uh, the expenditures for everything, because when you've got these shortages of supplies, shortages of workers, the only, the only good news is we've got nice cheap oil now. But the added cost for safety and security and adding hazard pay on top of everything else to get goods shipped, to get them sent out, to get them stocked, to get all these things on top of devaluing our currency now for now in the future is just insulting. It's insane. All right. Well, anyway, getting back to center, that bill passed. <laughs> that bill passed. And I kind of want to go through and break down just the fact that Thomas Massey stood up there and called for a voice vote during this process, right? Because we had this, obviously it's being shoved through as fast as possible. You had a Senate version, which was half the amount of spending that was then shoehorned in with the democratically controlled house. Of course, you've got twice as much spending now in this bill, but Thomas Massey came in, you know, drives his ass through the DC to protest and demand some debate on this bill and protest the fact that they weren't going to hold a or they weren't going to hold a recorded vote. Now you say, why is this important? I'll tell you the reason why is that, and Thomas Massey adequately points this out. He said, if we eliminate this number one, it's against constitution. You know, you need to have half the members of Congress there, which they, I, I, according to him did not because a lot of people were sick. They're at home. They're self quarantining, but also you're holding people accountable with a recorded vote, which is asked for if it's requested, then should be given. And typically they do. They do acquiesce on this. But he's saying we need to have a recorded vote, not just a simple voice vote, because people need to be held accountable. We need to see who's there and who's not there. And he said that Nancy Pelosi specifically told him to his face that they would not be recording a voice vote because that is an invasion of privacy to those senators that decided not to be there for personal or medical reasons. An invasion of privacy. The irony of that, considering the fact these people owe it to Americans for us to know exactly when they are or are not at a particular vote we might care about, especially when it's the largest spending bill in history. But not only that, Massey points out that the real reason they didn't want this recorded is because they don't want to be on, on record, essentially, supporting the biggest mistake ever made or what could potentially be the biggest mistake ever made. And this isn't even the end of it. There's still a fourth stimulus bill that's immediately being talked about because $2 trillion just wasn't enough. It's not enough bailouts. It's not enough corporate spending. It's not enough whatever else. Meanwhile, the question has to be asked, if we're talking about a fourth stimulus bill, what the fuck did you do wrong with the last one? How did you not address these concerns? How did you not put more priority on what was actually needed in the country rather than these poor, you know, 
pork politics, the bailouts for everybody across the nation, all these these cronious corporatist favoritism bills that you put into play and all these payouts that you have for all your specialties and making sure that every every state gets $1.5 billion. It just shows you the entire process is fucking bullshit. And we should have a recorded vote of this. There should be a documented recording of who's voting for it, who's standing up, who's not. And I, I really appreciate Thomas Massey standing up and demanding that we have some transparency on this. I mean, no matter what the circumstances may be, bills like this are always used to pass through tyranny. The Patriot Act, which, by the way, also got renewed for another you know 90 days in the midst of this, all this distraction. The Patriot Act got pushed through because of 9-11. And we still can't get it off the books. You know, I mean, God, almost 20 years later, we can't get it off the books. All the domestic spying going on and all these other provisions, nothing about the FISA courts was renewed. Nothing about the NSA stuff was, was pulled back in in this latest edition. They just passed it as is. But there's no, literally nothing could happen that would make me think that we had to somehow speed up the legislative process to push through bills without having people even get the chance to read it. Nobody's read this fucking bill. Nobody's read it. There's no way. They had 24 hours to vote on it. So you get a piece of trash cobbled together, then forced down people's throats that nobody knows what's in it. And now we're all forced to deal with it and forced with the fallout. And nobody knows what the fallout can be. Nobody even knows what we're dealing with yet. There's not enough data even for the virus to know what what we're going to be dealing with. There's not enough data to know what something like this, a shutdown of this proportion is going to have on the economy. I mean, we all want to think it's going to bounce back, but nobody knows. And by the way, one quick thing I want to point out. I know Justin Amash is getting some heat. Uh, because people think that he allowed this to go forward as well. But he actually did stand with Massey and did say that he wanted to have a recorded vote as well. Uh, He did not take the type of heat, though, that Massey did because he didn't make it as public as Massey did. And it was interesting hearing Thomas Massey talk about just the mafioso uh, type of environment that is Capitol Hill. And we always talk about how you know, the state is essentially a mafia. It strong arms you. It forces you to do its building. It can punish you if you don't comply. It's got a lot of guns. It's got a lot of ammo. It operates in secret. Well, hearing Thomas Massey talk about how the head of the GOP had called him up and said, hey, good luck with your campaign, and then hung up the phone. Basically, you know, not so veiled threat that he was promised all sorts of carrots and then promised all sorts of sticks when he didn't go along with it, that Trump had been threatening him. You know, all of these things show you that the legislative process is absolutely broken. It is purely self-population. It's self-propagation of government. It's making sure that your coffers are lined to the fullest extent, making sure your little, your little pork products are funded and fuck anybody else that tries to get in your way. So let's ram this down people's throats without proper debate, without any concept of whether or not it's actually going to have any sort of impact. And Considering that we had a stimulus before that did absolutely nothing, I don't see what an additional $3,000 in stimulus is going to do for anybody. People are going to look at this and say, I'm forced to go sit in my house. I don't know if I'm going to be able to work. And I want to talk about that. That is soon too, the, the free market and the way the market's adapting to this. But if being forced to work from home, I may not have a job. I'm in full panic mode. I'm not going to do anything with that other, other than pay rent or put it in savings. There's nothing else that I can do with that cash. I'm not going to go out and splash it around because I am too scared to do anything else with it. But at the same time, three grand is not enough to get anybody through. It's enough to pay my fucking mortgage for a month. 
And I just found out as I'm recording this podcast that my wife's going to have her cut her uh, pay reduced by 20% when she goes back to work in a month. I've told you guys before, I don't know if I'm going to have a job in a month. Honestly, I don't know. I'm looking at trying to create other revenue streams. I'm praying that we can make this podcast into something. I'm praying that some of these other projects I'm working on are going to get picked up. Hopefully my writing takes off. I'm trying to think of different new businesses that I can start on my own, trying to see like, okay, where is there a need in the marketplace? I should have been doing this before. But sometimes it takes a crisis, just like when you stopped and you waited to write a term paper in college or in high school or whatever else, you, you procrastinate. And then finally, when you get down to it, now you're forced to come up with something good. Hopefully that happens for me. I don't know if it will or not. But the average American's in the same boat as saying, well, I don't know. I procrastinated on doing what I should be doing. I mean, Christ, I should have been listening to more Jason Stapleton. <laughs> I need to fucking go over and sit on his couch and be like, Jason, inspire me to go out and start some business, man. I need it now. But Amash did stand up and try to get a, a public record of this vote as well. Both Massey and Amash are on record saying that despite being libertarian leading senators, they both said that they supported a direct stimulus bill I don't know. Like I said, I personally am still against it. I'll take the money they're sending me because the government's forced me to close, but I, I'm not in favor of it. I'm not in favor of any of these actions. I'm not in favor of any of this authoritarian lockdown state that we're living in. Now, let me see here. I wanted to go through a couple more things on this topic. Um, you know, one thing that's interesting me is what's being marked as essential versus non-essential right now. Like California, for example, in Los Angeles, they said gun stores not essential and forced them to close. And in a shocking turn of events, the Trump Department of Justice is saying, no, no, no. Nope, you got to stay open. We're not allowing that. So they're actually protecting and forcing California and Los Angeles to back off and allow gun stores to open, considering them essential. Now, nothing is more essential than the ability to defend yourself. And arguably, the government is attacking that ability to defend yourself or to uh, protect your liberty by denying you be able to go to work and crashing your economy. But as we see more civil unrest, as we see them talk about locking us down for another 30 days, because they just extended locking us down through maybe through June, who the fuck knows at this point, having a gun might be pretty goddamn essential. We're already seeing in my local neighborhood. I saw a story got looted. We're already seeing that, you know, I saw a, um, what is it? Michael's is all boarded up. A lot of the major manufacturers. Now the big box stores that are not open, they are boarding up because they know that the looting's coming. It's not an if, it's a when. And in my personal home, I've got a wife, I've got a baby. I don't want to be vulnerable. So thank God that Trump's DOJ is stepping in, or I think it's the Department of Justice that's giving them the, or saying that they have to stay open. Thank God they're doing it. But I will say it's it goes against the narrative I had planned for the show, which is that everything they're doing goes along and, and basically makes government stronger. Because as we said before, you know, we said it on our coronavirus uh, conspiracy corner that we did. Uh, Mark had talked about it in the forum. This is a win-win for government, right? Worst case scenario, everything goes haywire. They say, oh, well, we have to shut it down more. We needed more power. If we had only done more, if we'd done more earlier, if only you'd listened to us, this could have been avoided. Even though it probably couldn't have been avoided. It probably can't be avoided no matter what you do. And as of right now, there's not a lot of evidence to support that this social distancing that they're doing is even having a massive effect on shutting down the transmission of the virus because we don't even know how it works yet. Now they're saying it could be airborne. It could be up to 30 feet. If that's the case, good luck stopping it. 
you still have to go out. You, know, you can't just hunker down. You need to go out and get groceries. I had to go to Costco today. I had to buy, buy my supplies. Most people, they, they, now they're saying up to 60% of people transmit it. They don't even have any symptoms. There's no fucking way you're going to be able to stop it. So what we might have at the end of the day is that just as many people got it and that the survival rate is actually something like 99.9% because if we're counting all the cases that are not reported, if we're counting all the people that have no symptoms, you're seeing that this may have an actual death rate lower than the flu. So we tanked our economy, went into massive date over nothing, but we don't know yet. We don't know. We're going on presumptions. So anyway, it was surprising to see the government not push forward this narrative of, oh, we have to do everything we can, because this would be a perfect time for them, like the Patriot Act, to take a stab at denying us that Second Amendment right, the right to bear arms, denying us access to those weapons under this guise of, well, we have to lock down. It has to be martial law. We're protecting you for yourself. This is a pandemic. Buying a gun could put you at risk. Shocking to see it. Because everything else that they've been doing has gone the other way. Now, some of the things that we're seeing around the world, by the way, in regards to COVID responses, um, I mean, one thing that they're saying is that the United States response is getting, or, or actually I should say, the overpowered response, like New York City is doing by arresting churches and shutting down people that are having church services, which seems to me to be an outbound assault on religious freedom. I mean, if your religion requires or, or uh, maybe not requires if you feel that religion is going to be the cure for this, why should you be denied voluntarily congregating with other people in a church during this time when everything in your life's gone sideways? Well, the government says you can't do it. And Cuomo has been banning people. He's been arresting uh, pastors in New York City. Uh, he has also been talking about completely disbarring churches that actually go ahead and have church meetings during this time, which is just madness. And meanwhile, you have people unanimously in New York City, he's got like a 95% approval rating where people say he's doing a wonderful job managing it. And you've got Democrats saying, though, oh, we hope that he would run for president. Like, you've got people pressuring him to run for president. This guy that's locking everything down in this manner wherein you can't go out, he's destroying businesses. As I said, my sister's business, her, uh, her husband's business, his barbershop, they're just wrecked. Every bar and restaurant in New York City is basically going down in flames. You still have a city in New York City under de Blasio that has like thousands of deaths under COVID. They're still struggling mightily, right? Like Italy style. Although don't believe the media hype because they showing, uh, I was at CBS that showed a picture of an Italian hospital overrun and pretended it was in New York City because you can't trust the media. But you've got New York City having, you know, vast deaths. It seems to me that what they're doing isn't working. It seems to me that they're handling the pandemic in a worse fashion than anybody else could. But you have this massive approval rating going on. Makes no sense. But it goes to show you the fear that people fear, and they just want to have any sort of authoritarian strongman. And this is why I said people are, like Trump's approval rating is going up. They want to have this authoritarian strongman to tell them what to do, what's being done. It just makes no sense to me. And in the midst of people saying, oh, we're doing a great job handling this whole thing, on the flip side of that, the United States has supposedly passed China in the amount of deaths as well. Now, I actually look at that as a good thing, and I'll tell you why. Because China, number one, has stopped reporting deaths. 
And the latest reports that are coming out of Wuhan, a lot of other Chinese cities, talking about the the cremation urns that are being seen as opposed to the official numbers. Because now China says, oh, we had no new cases. Bullshit. Bullshit. They're saying that they could calculate it as, as far as maybe a magnitude higher than what they've reported. There might be 10 times more deaths than China wants us to know. They're simply an authoritarian government that's controlling the flow of operation, period. But the good news about the United States having more cases reported, well, do you know why? Do you know why we have more cases reported? Because we actually have medical systems in place that are able to treat these people, that are able to test them, despite people saying, I was not able to get a test. And yeah, I'm sure there are some shortage of tests. But at the same time, it's a good thing when people are being turned away when they don't have all the symptoms. I'm sorry to say it, but it is. Because otherwise, what you have and what you have with all these other countries that have socialized medicine, socialized healthcare, is that you have everybody with anything run in immediately to get checked. Like yesterday, I have a, I have a thermometer at home. I was like, eh, I don't feel great. I feel a little hot. Now, granted, I was been sitting in the sun earlier that day trying to get a little color on my face. I knew that, but I said, I'll, I'll take my thermometer, I'll take my temperature. And... Because I'm a weirdo and my body runs lower temperature than most people's, my temperature was 96.2. All right, I'm fine. No temperature, no fever, no problem. But you have a lot of people that would simply run in to get tested no matter what. They'd run in, they'd flood the fucking hospitals, they'd flood the doctor's offices, they'd overrun the system, and then you can't deal with the actual people that need it. The people that are showing all the symptoms, the people that that need to go to the doctor, get tested, and then get admitted right away to get served to put on a ventilator. What else is, uh, is going on? If you're over sixty, if you're you know if you have a, an immune system that's compromised, or even very few younger people. So it's good to see our cases are reported, especially considering that they say this is the fastest spreading virus, that it's unbelievably contagious, even if most people do not show symptoms even if most people don't know they have it, which is the case right now. They say some 60% of people probably don't know they have it, probably won't have any symptoms. It's a good thing that we have so many doctors and so many hospitals and people can get access to that. And we're not being overrun by fucking morons that are going to run in at the drop of a hat and demand to be tested and demand to be admitted because that's what will absolutely destroy your ability to treat people that need it as evidenced in all of these socialized healthcare countries. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about, speaking of socialized healthcare countries, uh, oddly enough, we're seeing some weird measures being taken in Sweden, for one. Now, Sweden has full out rejected the home quarantine measures. They've given people the option, right? They said, basically, the government, I wouldn't say they rejected. The government has given people the option. They're encouraging people to work from home, but they're not mandating it. They're not bailing anybody out. They're not demanding businesses close. The only thing they've done in Sweden is they, they're limiting events over 50 people. Fine. You can still go to the bars. You can still have little gatherings. You can still do whatever. You go to dinners. The restaurants are open. Now, Sweden, I think, has some 3,000 plus cases. Uh, it's like second highest in the region. But at the same time, they're not being overrun. They're not being uh, devastated by this, this illness. They're not... Uh, in full panic mode, as we are, and they're going to come out from this. Should things keep progressing as they are, they're going to come out from this with a, an economy that's completely stabilized. They're not going to have to rebuild like everybody else. They're not going to have to dig themselves out of a trench of debt like everybody else. And because Sweden has a vastly freer economic system than we do, they're going to have the ability to capitalize and start moving everywhere. I mean, Christ, if my agency's still fucking alive, I'm going to reach out to people in Sweden and say, hey, now's your time 
Let's do some PR and, and tell people you are ready to rock right now. You don't have to worry about ramping up like everybody else. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe Sweden's going to implode. But if they don't, we're going to look to them. And as Thomas Massey said, we're going to look at what we did and say, wow, this was the biggest mistake made in the hit. Well, the biggest economic, uh, purely economic mistake, let's say that, not counting World War's involvement. But this will be one of the biggest mistakes we've ever made. And it could have easily been avoided. We didn't need to go down this path. We did it out of pure panic based upon bad evidence and based upon cultural differences that exist. Now, I'm not going to go into that. You can listen to the last Conspiracy Corner on COVID that we did and the one prior to it about cultural differences and how they can definitely impact how societies are going to be infected during this time. Uh, one other, uh, okay, I want to talk real quick about Greenland, right? Greenland not only has made people home quarantine, but listen to this, has also banned alcohol. So you are now forced to stay in your home with your children, with your wife, who maybe you hate, maybe you don't. You're not allowed to have any alcohol. We're not allowed to buy any new alcohol because they're worried that it'll lead to domestic violence, that it'll lead to child abuse, that it'll lead to alcoholism. So now you're being forced to stay home. You're being denied your socializing aspects, right, which could be a, a reliever of stress. You're being denied access to, uh, to doing your work for the most part, which could be a reliever of stress. And now you're being denied the last remaining reliever of stress that might be available to you, in which is you having a little drinky poo at home to relax. I know I've been drinking a little bit more, guys, and I already drink a lot, <laughs> but I'm throwing a few more back. Why not? What else do I have to do? I mean, I can only do a few hours of work a day. I can't, it's, it's not like I can even get any goddamn new business going right now because everybody's just stuck in this stasis bubble. But the poor people of Greenland. Now, I, I ask you honestly, do you think that? For people that already drink, do you think that's going to make them more angry or less angry? Do you think it's going to save relationships? Do you think they're going to go into withdrawal? Do you think it's going to make them even testier? Do you think it's going to lead to more violence, more suicide? I can tell you which way I think it'll go. I think they give them an emergency shipment of alcohol. Maybe put that in the fourth stimulus bill. Here you go, Greenland. Here's an extra $50 billion in, uh, in booze money from America. Now... I'll sum up this. I, I want to stop talking about COVID because it's all, honestly, I didn't really want to talk much about it. Uh, and, but what else can you talk about right now? It's absolutely dominating every aspect of the news cycle from front to back, socially, economically, personally, it's fucking everywhere. But last thing, let's talk about a little bit about Amazon and uh, was it Instacart workers? You have these people, right, that are being portrayed as heroes. And I write, I see them saying, oh, good job, guys. Now, granted, it's a self-serving heroism. It's a, I'm still making money heroism. And as I said before, I thought they should be getting hazard pay. And they are. They're getting paid an additional $2 an hour, right? And Whole Foods profits are way up because they're tied in with Amazon and they're giving home delivery. It's just great. We use it. Instacart, I think they got a, a bit of an increase in their wages as well. So they're making all this extra money. Now, granted, as I said earlier, you're also paying more because the supply chain is slower. You're probably paying more for products than you usually would. So there's a premium. Now, they're probably passing that along to the consumer in some way. But it's good they're giving people a boost and raise because they are taking on more risk. But what we see now is that this asshole at Amazon, and uh, let's see, let me find this name. Anyway, some guy at Amazon, the Staten Island location, he had arranged a walkout and a strike because they found one person there was sick with COVID. And they said, oh, our safety, we're not being safe here. We, we need to be paid double the amount. And we need to be paid 14 
uh, 14 days of paid sick leave if you are sick or if you want to self-quarantine. Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck that. And that's what Amazon said too. Fuck that. And they fired the guy. Good job, Amazon. Because let me tell you what would happen very quickly. If this, if this caught on, number one, you're cutting off one of the last remaining avenues for people to get foods and, and services. Now, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that means that the government can't impose this on us. They have to quit doing it. They have to say, okay, look, we're going to open it up again. This has gotten too crazy. Granted, food stores are still open. But this guy would turn these quote-unquote heroes, right? People that would say, okay, thanks for doing these essential services like the doctors and nurses, the people working in food service, thank you for going out there and taking a little extra risk. Granted, most of you will be totally fine. You'll have no symptoms. The odds of you getting sick and dying are are astronomically low unless, again, you're 60 plus and, and immune deficient. But thank you. Now, if they start doing this striking, if they start denying people the services, they cut us off. They go from heroes to villains real quick, really fucking quick. Not only that, but you're also going to cost a lot of people their jobs and their livelihoods that don't want to go on strike because it only takes about, I don't know, a small portion of the workforce going on strike to stop everybody from doing their jobs, especially in an operation like Amazon, where you've got a factory setting, you've got something working very quickly, you have a certain number of people that have to be there to get the job done, it can come to a screeching halt. So good, get rid of this fucking guy. Also, if you're at a low-paying wage, right, a low-paying job, skillless labor, you're in there, you're not making that much to begin with, Saying that Amazon should give you 14 days paid sick leave on top of, uh, and or if you just want to self-quarantine in 14 days, doesn't make any sense for the company to do. The simple reason, why would anybody not just immediately say they got sick and take the sick leave? It's not like other jobs, you know, with corporate jobs where people are like, you know, could work from home, uh, where you say, okay, well, I've got too much money. I don't want to take that sick leave. I want to use that later. I'm just going to keep working and keeping that income going. I'm going to, I'm going to keep that for later because I know it's guaranteed to me. I'm going to save it for when I need it. If you're working a hourly job at Amazon and you're saying, well, fuck it. I don't know if I'm going to get this paid leave again. If it's a temporary thing, I'm going to take it right now. I'm going to take a two week vacation during the height of this wait it out and get paid. And then I'll just go right back to work for my same uh, hourly rate. Amazon knows that. That's why they're not going to capitulate to that. It would be obscene to force them into that. And I know that the bill, you know, the stimulus bill, they wanted to force people into paying, uh, you know, small businesses to pay two weeks paid sick leave as well. Now I kind of get why they, why they didn't have Amazon in that, to be honest. Now it makes more sense. I was railing against it last time, but now it makes a lot more sense, even though it's still cronyism. It's still giving people that can afford to do it, theoretically anyway, unless their entire staff takes two weeks off, which just might happen. But now it makes more sense. Still cronyism makes more sense. The government should have never mandated that small businesses had to do it either. But yeah, you can strike if you want to, man. If that's your relationship, you want to have a different negotiation, you can take that risk. But this guy risked and lost, and I say good. Uh, what else? Okay. I talked about China lying. I talked about Sweden. Uh, I think that's it. Okay. So let's turn our attention to Joe Biden. Oh, actually, no, let's take a quick commercial break. Then I'm going to come back. I want to talk a little bit about the free market and its response to uh, the coronavirus and how it's uh, interesting. And then also I want to talk about Joe Biden and then we'll wrap it up. 
I'm back to tell you again about Good Morning Liberty, everybody. Yes, Good Morning Liberty, hosted by Nate and Charlie, an every day of the week podcast that is hitting on all of your favorite libertarian topics, as well as making it a point to talk a little bit more about healthcare, as they both have a background in the healthcare industry, having working currently working with a healthcare IT company. So they've got the ins and outs, which comes into play, especially right now, as we look at what's happening with healthcare, how the government's bailing them out, etc. So Nate and Chuckles over there have a lot to say about it. Also, funny guys have been on the show, entertaining listen, and... Another bonus of the show at this point in time is they focus on compassionate libertarianism, finding solutions, finding ways in which we can be looked upon, not as the monsters that we so often are, monsters that stand up against uh, tyranny like Thomas Massey, but in fact are caring individuals. So they put a lot of emphasis on that in their show as well. You can find them at any of your favorite podcatching apps. Again, Good Morning Liberty, or check them out online at lol.gmlpodcast.com. All right, we're back into it. Uh, guys, this has been, man, a difficult podcast for me to record. I swear to God, if it's if it's a little disjointed, hopefully I'm not repeating myself. Hopefully it's hopefully it's not coming across as badly as I feel it is in my mind because it's one of those days where it's like I keep getting interrupted. <laughs> like every 10 minutes I'm getting interrupted by something. So it's messing with my train of thought. I'm not able to just kind of hit the ground and run as I like to do. Uh, I keep having to stop and start and it's messing me up trying to get where I'm coming from. It's like my wife interrupted me. The baby needs something. I had to cook dinner. Uh, My computer decided it was going to stop working because it had an overload because I have a crappy computer. Everything under the sun is interrupting me here. It's just making my life miserable. But we are back. Then to remind you, you can find the show notes for this episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL170. And you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. 10% of that will go towards donors and the efforts they're doing for libertarian nonprofit efforts uh, fighting COVID-19. So make sure to give us some ducats. And we're going to have a very special t-shirt coming. I don't want to give too much away. All I will say is it ties into Tiger King. And you're not going to want to miss it. But we're going to have that in a day or two, and we'll uh, aptly promote that when it's available. And that'll be for our members at $15 or up. We'll get a T-shirt. Okay. Coming back into it. So a couple of quick things. I wanted to talk about the free market response to this. Because, you know, we've, we're seeing the world change very, very quickly. Um, we're seeing that the entire way people are working is becoming readjusted. And, and it's one of those things you have to take a step back. If we can pull ourselves out of it, and it's hard for me to do because God knows I am in the middle of it getting impacted like many of you are. But if we take a step back, it is honestly beyond impressive to see how the market has provided us the tools in which we can still somewhat function as a society by virtue of technology, by virtue of e-commerce, by virtue of the market finding a way to keep supply chains intact. I mean, God, look at how much business is now being done virtually by a cloud computing, by Zoom. We're, we're keeping in touch not only by virtue of the social networks, which are a blessing and a curse. And now, you know, I've railed against the social networks. I believe that they are the cause of a lot of the violence, a lot of the hatred that goes on. I blame a lot of the shooting epidemic on social media and on bullying and on isolationism. But oddly enough, now we're in a time where nothing's good for anybody. You're not seeing people post the videos of their vacations. You know, I think it was a Jeffrey Zucker or, or, or one of these mega millionaires. 
Jimmy, uh, maybe maybe the head former Eisner, maybe the former head of Disney, had posted as saying, oh, I'm quarantining on my $950 million mega yacht. And he just ripped to shreds. Instead of people like, oh, what a lifestyle. Give him a television show. What are the Kardashians up to? Instead, we're actually seeing people spill their heart out. Now, granted, some of them, I, I will say, annoy the living shit at me. I, I, I can't stand it when people go and post thoughts and prayers on Twitter or on Facebook. And I, I hate it. God, I hate it. I just think that it is, even if you're honest in your, in your efforts and you really just want prayers and you believe in that type of thing helping you, I can't stand it. I just think it's very self-serving. Look at me, uh, a cry for attention rather than an honest appeal for anything. However, we are seeing people share on social media that they're having problems. And that's one of the things is we can see and commiserate with people because misery does love company. I mean, you don't want to feel alone and we are feeling less isolated by sharing our personal miseries on Facebook and having people say, yes, I'm with you. This is what I did to help. We're having people I know in libertarian groups, you can, you've seen people post, say, hey, if anybody can help me out here, please do. You're seeing people interact with like Zoom media, the, what we use for our Mufasa pride calls where we get everybody together to get feedback on the show. That's if you're $25 level or up. But it's also what we use to do our interviews, what we use to do our LILDL shows, our, you know, all of our shows on video that we stream to our pride are all done through Zoom. And I know I've had several Zoom happy hours with people, some of whom I haven't seen in years people that I haven't talked to in years at times. My buddy Sean just had a 40th birthday and I'm on there. It's me. It's Dan Mahoney. Who's uh, he, he's been on the show. He was at the, uh, the California libertarian convention with us before they shut all these things down, but he's on the call. And you know, it's like uh, people I haven't seen in years, just amazing to kind of reconnect with them. So we're seeing the benefit, but that benefit is provided by the market. It's provided by people that had an idea that it were able to go out despite government regulation, despite all the issues with corporate taxation and small businesses, despite all the hoops that they have to jump through, are finding a way. And now, in this environment, despite what government is doing, not with help from government, because all the small business loans in the fucking world are not going to help you when your business has already collapsed upon itself. But they're able to adjust because the market finds a way to make things happen. The market provides people with sustenance, provides them with income, provides them with the way in which they can go about their lives in the best, most beneficial fashion. And we're seeing even in the face of this bullshit, the market is providing. The government's $2 trillion stimulus bill, that's not providing shit to anybody. $3,000 does nothing. Not saying that it wouldn't be nice. It's going to help some people a little bit. But in the overall scheme of things, compared to the market, that $2 trillion could have been used so much more effectively, so much more pointedly, so much more beneficially for all of humanity, rather than just having the government say, here you go, plop it out. We're going to give half of the stimulus bill to our cronyist bullshit, and we're going to give half to you, a little pittance. Here you go. I'll tip my ashes on you. You should have gotten 60000 per person. You get three. So God bless the market. God bless Amazon. God bless Zoom. God bless all the cloud technologies. God bless people finding a way to work. Okay, next. <laughs> uh, we got to wrap up talking about what the media won't talk about. At least, you know, Fox News a little bit is coming around on it. Uh, but we're not seeing overall the mainstream, the ABCs, the NBCs, the Nightlines, the 60 Minutes is they're not talking about the very credible accusation against Joe Biden by Tara Reid. And that's Reid with an E on the end, by the way, not Tara Reid, she of uh, the drunken mishaps and the uh, the botched liposuction surgeries. 
No, we're not talking about that drunken mess. We're talking about a former staffer of his who made credible accusations that took place back in 1993. Now, the accusations have come out later. The accusations go back to actually April of last year had mention of them. So I don't know. I was trying to figure out exactly when the first when she first came forward and told her story. I have not been able to find that exact date as of this recording. However, it was briefly reported in the Washington Post like a year ago and then seemed to disappear from the mainstream media's narrative. A couple of the places have uh, reported on it. You know, Vox, HuffPost, would you think, you know, the Time's Up movement. That's how this came out. The hashtag Time's Up thing was how she had just uh, discussed this story. And again, mainly ignored. Why? Well, probably because Democrats don't want to acknowledge the fact that Joe Biden, a frontrunner, could possibly have done something vastly more credible than the accusations that were made against Brett Kavanaugh to try to derail his nomination to the Supreme Court. Of course, those included possibly fabricated stories taking place back when two kids were 15 years old, back in, I think, Massachusetts or something like that, and an allegation that Brett Kavanaugh and another man had uh, forced a young and gullible woman into a room and had their way with her. Of course, none of this could be corroborated. Even the woman, Christine Blasey Ford's friends say that they can't remember it, that they don't have any recollection of this party. So it certainly sounds like she could have very well just made it up, as was the case with two other accusers who had come forward with stories that were equally horrible and were easily disproven once they were brought to the light. But that didn't stop the media from reporting on them as though they were fact. There was no cross-checking. There was no hesitation to run forward to say that Kavanaugh was a rapist and to say that he had no place on the Supreme Court based upon the believe-all-women tenet that has been brought forth in our society. Yet, curiously, Joe Biden a former staffer, not a random woman back when, you know, not a, not a teenage tryst, not some, uh, not some random woman on a plane, you know, not some unprovable, incredible uh, person. No, a former staffer comes forward and says that he had allegedly, according to her, pressed her against a wall and penetrated her with his fingers because said, hey, kid, somebody told me that you liked me or something like that. So um, that's not verbatim, but that's what she basically said that he had said to her while he's doing this. And she said she just sat there kind of stunned. She looked up to him, all that kind of thing. And according to Democracy Now!, who did an interview, she says that she had tried to get a story out to some extent back in 1993, but she said she was too afraid and her mother had told her not to. Now, what's interesting about this, too, is that she wanted to come out and tell this story with the Times Up campaign. And of course, there is a fund, the Times Up Legal Defense Fund, that was created, a nonprofit that she had approached. Right. And she was told reportedly that the fund couldn't help her because Biden is a candidate for federal office and pursuing a case could, quote, jeopardize the fund's nonprofit status. And the Intercept is reporting the public relations firm representing the legal defense fund is SKD Knickerbocker, whose managing director, Anita Dunn, is a top advisor for Biden's presidential campaign. And uh, Democracy Now! says they emailed Biden's press team for these allegations to respond to us. They didn't take back to them. So this is. Obviously something that has a lot of deep seeds and a lot of roots going through. And it looks like it's pretty much protecting this man in the worst possible way, you know, by literally using a fund that is dedicated towards exposing this type of thing in politics, in entertainment, among players in power, and then deciding that they don't want to talk about it because, oops, it's my guy. You know, it's kind of like Hillary Clinton saying that uh, these women should not believed be, be believed when it's in regards to her husband, but that we have to believe him any other time. You know, never when it's my guy, only when it's your guy. So it's sickening to see how the media can easily twist and turn 
in ways to protect this candidate. And a guy who, you know, it's just like with the whole thing with um, the Uranium One company. Uh, or not Uranium One, I'm sorry. What's the, God damn it, I'm blanking on the name of the gas company now. Burisma, right? I talked about how it was insane all this investigation and hoopla over Burisma and how we can investigate Joe Biden because he's a candidate for office. Well, does he just get an excuse then? Are we also not allowed to try to prosecute Joe Biden for sexual assault because he's running for president? Does he get a, a, a free pass there too? Because it's going after a political candidate the Department of Justice tries to go after him now? It seems to me that Joe Biden is a man who has more questions to answer than almost anybody that has ever run for president, yet is incapable of answering any of them. Constantly has people covering for him, covering up, dissuading, dismaying people, uh, obfuscating the truth to protect this doddering asshole who clearly has taken advantage of his position throughout the years. Now, is this allegation true? I don't know. And I believe in giving people the fair shake. I believe in giving the benefit of the doubt. Uh, The irony, of course, is also that Joe Biden pushed forward the strictest interpretations of the, you know, the dear colleague letter that Obama sent out and the Obama and Biden administration sent out saying that these colleges should believe women, that they should kick people out of school, that they should find them, that they should hold tribunals with no evidence being presented by one of the sides, a.k.a. the accused, and that you should have no real legal recourse to this. Interesting to see how the ties have turned. The tables have turned, excuse me. Interesting to see how this doesn't apply to Joe Biden in any way, shape, or form when somebody comes out with very credible accusations against him. Just pathetic. Now, as I mentioned, he does have a podcast coming out. It's called Here's the Deal. Here's the Deal with Joe Biden. Otherwise called, (laughs) actually, I don't know. Mark and I are discussing doing a rebuttal podcast to Joe Biden's Here's the Deal podcast. Maybe it'll be called Here's the Butterscotch Mountain Formula because God knows Joe Biden's a senile mess. But we have to listen to the podcast, see what is in there, if it's worth us taking the time to mock it. And then we probably will. You know, it'll be kind of like our Rand Pauluses and Minuses that I used to do, uh, or the uh, the Gary Johnson and Johnsoff, the show that we used to do when Gary Johnson was running. Actually, what the fuck is it called? Oh, it was called Mr. Johnson's Liberty Hood. <laughs> Actually, here you go. I'm going to play you a special song that is the theme song to Mr. Johnson's Liberty Hood. And it probably happened before many of you were listeners to the podcast uh, to give you a taste of what might be in store for our rebuttal to Joe Biden's podcast, which the first episode's already out uh, and I have linked to in the show notes. So why don't we go out on that? We'll go out on Mr. Johnson's Neighborhood theme song. Uh, from me, Brian McWilliams, apologizing for a completely disjointed episode, and I hope you will forgive me. I'll be back with fine fashion next week, fully prepared, I'm sure, and uh, and hopefully with more to talk about than just COVID-19 horseshit. But from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into Liberty. It's a beautiful day in this Liberty Hood, a beautiful day for a candidate. Would he be mine? Could he be mine? It's a Liberty Day in this Johnson Wood, a Liberty-ish day for a Gary. Would he be mine? Could he be mine? I've never wanted to have a candidate just like you. I've always wanted to have a real libertarian who's schooled. But let's make the most of this beautiful day. 
Since we're together, we might as well say, would he be mine? Could he be mine? As long as he acts libertarian. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be a principled libertarian?